Hi, I'm Sophia Contos, a second year international relations and global studies and plan two honors student at the University of Texas at Austin. And that song was my number one by Helena Paparizou. It was also Greece's Eurovision winning entry in 2005. Though Greece hasn't won Eurovision since, I still enjoy listening to the songs and watching the performances every summer because Eurovision is truly a spectacle. You're listening to The Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Now, I need to back up a couple of steps here to provide some context. My dad, Thanos, yes, like the Marvel villain, was born and grew up in Greece until he moved to the U.S. for graduate school, and I grew up surrounded by Greek food and Greek family. So when Greece won Eurovision in 2005, it was kind of a big deal. I even happened to be in Greece at the time because I was visiting my yaya, or my Greek grandmother. I was four when this happened, so I don't remember too much. But I do remember that everyone was overjoyed and learned the song by heart that summer. Though Greece hasn't won Eurovision since, I still enjoy listening to the songs and watching the performances every summer, because Eurovision is truly a spectacle. But it also serves as a great object of study, which is how I'll be talking about it today. First, let me provide a brief crash course for those of you thinking, what the hell is Eurovision? Eurovision is an annual televised European song contest. It's worth noting that not all European countries participate, and some non-European countries, like Australia and Israel, compete. Eurovision started in 1956, and in its first year, it only had seven participants. Eurovision is hosted annually by the European Broadcasting Union, and any national members of the EBU are eligible to compete, up to 44 in a given year. National broadcasting organizations select their country's entrant domestically, and different countries have different selection processes, but most opt for domestic song competitions. The competition itself is split into two semifinals and one final. 28 countries compete in the final, and the big five, Italy, UK, France, Spain, and Germany, and the host country are automatically admitted to the final every year. This is largely because the big five give the most money to the EBU. At the semifinals and final, participants perform their entries live, and these performances are broadcast by the competing member stations. Each national broadcaster oversees the voting for their country, both the televoting and the jury. Countries aren't allowed to vote for their own entry. The voting system gets a little complicated, but basically each national broadcaster combines their televoting and their jury's votes, and then ranks each other country competing. The top-ranked country gets the coveted 12 points, or 12 points. The second country receives 10, the third 8, and then subsequently each next country receives seven down to one point. Each broadcasting country's points are combined, and the winning song is the one that receives the most total points. There are critics of this voting system who claim that it leads to block voting, where neighboring countries give the highest points to each other. For example, the Balkan bloc of former Yugoslav states or the Viking empire of Scandinavian countries. But the system remains in place. 
The last important thing to know is that the EBU explicitly calls Eurovision a non-political event and requires that national broadcasters make sure that the event is not politicized. But by its very nature, it's a competition between nations that perform imagined ideas of their national identity. The competition is political. It's also amazing and nearly indescribable if you've never seen any of the entries for yourself. Eurovision might be the only place where you can go from a fairly typical pop song winning to death metal performed by a band in full monster prosthetics winning the very next year. As much as I love being a spectator, researching Eurovision has somehow been even more interesting than watching the competition. When I started my research, I had a broad question. How are normative ideas about national and gender identity replicated and contested in Balkan submissions to Eurovision? Though I started with this question, I quickly recognized that it was far too broad, so I decided to focus on three specific case studies of Eurovision performances from nations on the periphery of Europe. In this podcast, I will examine the presentation of national identity in the winning entries from 2003 to 2005. Turkey's Every Way That I Can, Ukraine's Wild Dances, and Greece's My Number One. I will focus mostly on Turkey's performance, but we'll look at all three songs to try to answer how Eastern countries self-exoticize themselves in a bid for acceptance by Western Europe. To start, let's listen to Sertab Erener perform in 2003. That was some of the winning submission from Turkey in 2003. When it won, the country was overjoyed. In 2004, the Turkish foreign minister claimed that Eurovision, which Turkey was now hosting, was more important than any other political summit. Turkey's win at Eurovision seemed to symbolize their acceptance into Western Europe, with many in Turkey believing that their bid to join the EU would now be accepted. As of now, 18 years later, Turkey has still not acceded to the EU, though their candidacy has been officially accepted. Clearly, politicians on the periphery of Europe see Eurovision as an opportunity to gain political capital through cultural performances. But Turkey's Eurovision win also didn't translate into acceptance into the EU as hoped. Obviously, Eurovision provides a stage for acceptance by Western Europe, but a Eurovision win doesn't necessarily translate beyond that. Now. Let's talk about the winning song itself. The instrumentation features numerous Turkish or Oriental signifiers. According to Thomas Solomon, the melody resembles makam, a traditional mode in Turkish classical music, and the song itself features many Turkish instruments. Notably, the Turkish elements are not coherent. Different elements are blended together in a way that would be incongruous for an audience familiar with Turkish music. This choice suggests that the song is meant specifically for a European audience. On top of the traditionally and explicitly Turkish signifiers, the song follows traditional pop formulas. Also, the song itself is performed in English. Though some of the Turkish audience criticized the language choice, Edener demanded to perform in English so as to reach the European audience. Lyrically, the song is full of cliches. Edener sings to an ostensibly masculine you, she promises to be better for him and to make him love her again. 
though the lyrics themselves seem trite on the surface, Matthew Gumpert's reading of the song adds depth to the cliches. Gumpert argues that understanding the song requires thinking of Western Europe as the you Edener is addressing. Taken that way, the lyrics gain new meaning. Turkey will do whatever it can to be accepted by Europe, which we can hear when Edener repeats, every way that I can, I'll try to make you love me again. Working from this standpoint, we can see how Turkey is pleading with Europe, and in the process, auto-orientalizing itself to be more acceptable. Edened performs the song visually as an odalisk, a female slave in a harem, and acts out the fantasy of the East as the West typically perceives it. In every way that I can, Edened leans into the stereotypes. In particular, she performs a submissive, erotic woman begging for a man back and promising to become who he wants her to be. Again, this setup can be read precisely as the dynamic that the West imagines between the East and the West, where the East is typically perceived as a submissive feminine presence opposed to the West's dominant masculinity. By replicating the dominant view of itself by the West, Turkey attempts to become both acceptable and accepted by the West. Another interesting note here is that the four backup dancers during the live performances are white. Together with Edener, they perform belly dancing and present the harem setting. Both the musicality, with composite Turkish motifs in a larger pop structure, and the performance itself, with white performers belly dancing, present what Gumpert terms state orientalism, offensive to no one. Clearly, being inoffensive in this way paid off. Turkey won Eurovision with every way that I can, yet they did not gain greater acceptance by Western Europe beyond that symbolic win. So what can we take away from this? Well, ultimately, leaning into the Orientalist stereotype, in essence, commodifying an outsider's view of local, in this case Turkish, culture, translates to symbolic wins. But those symbolic wins might not lead to broader political capital. Now that we spent some time talking about Turkey's winning submission from 2003, let's spend a little time digging into the comparison between this performance, Ukraine's winning performance from 2004, and Greece's winning performance from 2005, which you already heard at the beginning of this episode. There are some striking similarities between these entries from three countries who each find themselves navigating and negotiating their relationship with Europe from its eastern periphery. All three are performed by conventionally attractive women, and the physical performances center around dance. Ukraine's entry, Wild Dances, also lyrically centers dancing. are performed entirely in English and feature ethnic musical motifs. For both Ukraine and Turkey, the costuming and staging highlight ethnicity as well. These explicit but also bastardized ethnic performances reflect how peripheral European states try to carve out a niche by othering themselves. These performances are sanitized and self-exoticized. The performers present themselves in a way that is palatable to Western European audiences, they are foreign enough to be exotic and exciting, but not foreign enough to be threatening. To me, 
It seems significant that all three performances center women. It is on a female body that Western Europe and the performing countries themselves can build fantasies of Eastern Europe. In choosing these three performers, Turkey, Ukraine, and Greece tried and succeeded to capitalize on this fetishization to stake their claim for belonging in Europe. Just as Gumpert did with Turkey's entry, we can imagine that all three songs, which are romantic and directed at a masculine you, are directed not at a romantic partner, but at Europe. What do we get? Well, Turkey promises to love Europe every way that it can, Ukraine promises to dance for Europe, and Greece affirms that Europe is their number one. And all these messages resonated, clearly, because these songs won. Okay, so some final takeaways that we get from this comparative analysis. Countries on the periphery of Europe see Eurovision as an arena where they can gain greater acceptance from Western Europe. To become acceptable, these countries perform sanitized, but still ethnic versions of their national identity. In essence, they become who the West wants and expects them to be. From 2003 to 2005, that was a beautiful, just ethnic enough woman singing about love and dancing. Though these countries win symbolically by winning Eurovision, these wins might not translate into the political capital that the countries hoped for. As much as I love Eurovision, there's something a little tragic in that reality. But this reality has become a great song by the Bosnian rap group Dubioza Collective. In Eurosong, they show how Eastern countries want more than winning Eurovision. They want to be properly integrated into the European community. I really like this song, so that's what I will leave you with. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of this podcast. Again, I'm Sofia Kantos, and this podcast was produced as my final project for punks and divas in Southeast Europe with Dr. Beronia in spring 2021. And here is Eurosong by Dubioza Collective. Don't want to be annoying, please don't get me wrong. I'm sick of being European just on Eurosong, just on Eurosong, just on Eurosong. Slavic Connection is part of the Texas Podcast Network, the conversations changing the world. Brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this program represent the views of the hosts and the guests and not of the University of Texas at Austin. For more information, please visit us online at slavxradio.com. Thank you. 